Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Jokic behind his back. What a taste like, Jokic. your sitter. Wow. As long as there are fans on this is that's all I care about. So the Warrior fans come in here, the Celtic fans come in here, Laker fans come in here. I take that L on the way out. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Podcast. It is Zach Mikosh with DenverStiffs.com. I am flying solo today. I gave Mr. Gordon Gross the night off last night, or rather he really gave me the night off. We would typically record on a Sunday night, but I had a huge Sunday, and at about 8 o'clock I was like, I'm going to bed. So um, Gordon is going to take the week off, and I'm going to get his cover here on Monday because we do have quite a bit to talk about this week. Obviously, the Nuggets have now opened in playing games that matter. Uh, did not go so well for them in the first one against the Miami Heat. We will break that down. I will talk a little bit about that final scrimmage. It seems like ages ago now. Gosh, who did they play? Oh, the Magic. That's right. Um, with the Orlando Magic. So we'll talk about that uh, a little bit and we'll cover the Miami game. I want to spend most of the show, though, talking about the game today uh, against the Thunder. And then maybe we'll look a little bit at the Nuggets schedule uh, moving forward. I think they've got a couple more that they will play probably like three games that they will play uh, this this week before we're back on next Monday. So um, we'll get into all of that, but we're going to probably spend most of the time focusing on the Thunder as that game tips off at 2 p.m. Guessing with them when I'm recording, you'll probably get this pod just a couple hours before that game starts. So uh, we'll basically use this as a preview show for the game today. So without further delay, let's go ahead. Let's break into it. And let's go all the way back real quick, if we can, to when the Nuggets were still playing games that didn't matter. And that would have been the the scrimmage against the Orlando Magic. It was probably the most notable scrimmage, I would say, for for the Nuggets in that it was the one that um, it was the one that had the the most normal lineups that if you will like Jamal Murray played in that game Will Barton played a bit in that game um they Torrey Craig was of course back at this point so they had him available as well Michael Porter Jr. Uh, available for that game so you got to see a little bit more normalcy in their lineups which we have, of course didn't see in those first two scrimmages when they were playing those giant lineups because that's all they had was a bunch of bigs to play so um you know i the notes that I took from that game were were mostly positive. Uh, I don't even remember if they won or not. I think they did. I don't know. It didn't matter. Um, but it was mostly positive, particularly about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., right? Those guys really showed out in that scrimmage. Jamal Murray looked good, and he looked confident. He looked like a guy who was ready to, to play uh, big-time minutes in big-time spotlights. Like, he looked like... 
I don't want to say star because I think that's, you know, I mean, obviously that's one, it's a very subjective term, and two, it's hard to make those kind of determinations based off one game. But it certainly looked like Jamal not only did not lose anything over the uh, extended layoff, but had been working on his body and had then used the time um, also to work on his game as much as he could. And so very, very encouraging because I think everybody wants to see, and this this postseason is, is the place for it to happen, everyone wants, wants to see Jamal Murray take that next step, right? We kind of saw it last year. He stepped up in the playoffs. He had some up and downs for sure, but his ups were incredible. And I mean, he flat out saved the Nuggets bacon against the Spurs in game two. So we're now kind of looking, okay, can he make that next step? Can he, I think what people, at least for me, what I would define the next step is, can he legitimately look like a star player on a championship contender? Can he be one of your top three guys? I think we we started to see that a little bit in the playoffs last year. We've kind of always seen a little bit of that with Jamal, but it's never been like, yep, this guy can help carry this team in the biggest moments. He's been very close uh, but hasn't quite done it yet. Hasn't really had the opportunity yet because it's only his now will be his second trip to the postseason. But I think that's what we're all looking for, right? And it looked like in that scrimmage that he was uh, on that path. Certainly, what you could draw from from the first one. The other thing with Michael Porter Jr. was, you know, what you were looking for him is, well, is he healthy? Which he looked, he did look healthy, um, certainly in the scrimmage. And and is he ready to make an impact on the court? Can he? Be good enough on defense that it doesn't get him pulled from the game, and can he continue to make a big impact uh, on offense? And I think we saw that in that scrimmage as well. Michael Porter Jr. played very well. He um, he was attacking the basket. He was shooting it well. He did a lot of things right. He wasn't a complete loss on on defense. You know, I don't. I mean, he's one of those guys. I don't as particularly right now. I don't expect him to be a great defender. It's just not where he's at in his development. Um, but he looked fine. He looked fine in that scrimmage, and ultimately, uh, everything was was very positive. I think the one negative in that scrimmage that I really took was that Will Barton, you know, he played and then he uh, and then he came out, uh, and, and I don't think he came back in in the second half. So that, of course, is concerning. And now, with the extra benefits of hindsight um, and knowing what happens after that scrimmage, like it's it's extremely concerning, right? That Will Barton, obviously, Will Barton is working through some sort of injury. Uh, and it's troublesome that he tried to give it a go and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't stay, he couldn't stay, uh, on the court. That's something that I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I don't know what, what makes me more worried that the fact that Will went out and tried it and then, and then had to be, um, taken out and has not returned to the court or the fact that Gary Harris has not set foot on the court at all. Like those are two, uh, two big injuries that are, are certainly affecting the Nuggets. And with that, I guess we'll move past the scrimmage and let's talk about the game over the weekend with the Miami Heat. The Nuggets, of course, lose that one, 125-105. They, uh, they had a one-point lead at halftime and then just kind of fell apart in the third quarter. Couldn't score, basically, is what happened. And then in the fourth quarter, Kelly Olenek happened um, and just just flat out uh, got got red hot from three-point land and, and there was no chance for a comeback whatsoever. That, um, that game, I think, highlighted a lot of the issues that the Nuggets were going to face with the fact that they had a bunch of guys getting to the bubble late um, and that these guys haven't played for four months. So, I mean, you know, I, I guys like Monte Morris and P.J. Dozier who didn't play in the scrimmages at all, you know, this was their very first uh, – their very first – 
opportunity to to play some real game action. And I think it showed in the second half, like those guys started getting gassed. It was it was tough for them to get uh, anything rolling in and particularly once in the second half outside of Nicola, you know, if, if Nicola wasn't, wasn't really doing his thing or he was taking, he was on the bench or whatever, like the, the offense just kind of fell apart. And without Jamal Murray, you know, Monty Morris is a guy kind of you're depending on to really be the initiator of, of your offense when Jokic is off the court. And I think he just, either was some rust there. Uh, it looked like some tired legs there as well. And that was, that was really prevalent. I think with most Everyone. I mean, the shooting was rough in that game. The outside shooting in particular uh, was rough in that game. They did not, the Nuggets did not uh, look like a team that had been, you know, was well conditioned for the game. They looked like a team who hadn't played a real basketball game in four months. And there, you could tell their legs got out from, out from, uh, or they lost their legs out from beneath them, I guess. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. But, uh, you know, they ended up shooting basically 23% from th- the three point line. That's, not going to get it done uh, in, in in any game. And it was, I mean, nobody shot well, right? Michael Porter Jr. was 25% from three. Torrey Craig was actually 40%. Um, Jeremy Grant only hit one. P.J. Dozier uh, was was 0 for 4. You know, there was, there were, P.J. had a tough night shooting in general. Um, Jokic himself was 1 for 5. Like, it was very apparent in watching that game, like, the team struggled uh with their legs you could tell they are not at you know mid-season conditioning certainly not at playoff conditioning levels and and that really manifested itself i thought in their shooting uh more than anything else the other thing obviously that really manifested was just defense it was it was lax i mean the defense has been high scoring in general in the bubble um I'm not sure. I guess we we look in and try and figure out why that is. But you know, in that in that third quarter, the the Miami Heat scored 38 points to the Nuggets 22. That's obviously where the game got away from them, and it, it showed. I thought that basically those guys, even the guys who have been in the bubble since the get go, um, it showed that they were gas. I mean, there was like at the end of the third quarter, Mason Plumley was just, uh, and I thought Mason had a pretty good game, but he was he was just done. Um, in terms of defending at the end of that third quarter, I mean, he was getting blown by. I think right at the right, the, I'm pretty sure Miami maybe it was Jimmy Butler scores right at the uh, the buzzer of the third, and it's basically he just blew right by Mason Plumlee, and there was nothing he could do to stop him. I thought we saw that in Paul Millsap as well. He had a lot of times where he just seemed to struggle keeping guys in front of him, and I think what happens is. You know, you've been asking these guys to play out of position uh, for pretty much the entire scrimmages, and they've been playing big minutes, right? The Nuggets haven't had uh, a ton of opportunity to rest their regular rotation players and kind of put in the backing guys because guys like, you know, Kata Bates D up and PJ Dozier uh, and Ivlako Chanchar, who's still not in Orlando, like those guys were not available to rest your normal rotation players at the end of these exhibition games and so your normal rotation players played long minutes in games that didn't matter and I think you know they're they're this is now they've played like a full week of basketball and and the the fatigue is showing on those guys as well it's it's something the Nuggets are just going to have to work through I think maybe this is this is part of why kind of coach Malone was at like hey I'm focused on the playoffs more than the um these seeding games and and maybe that's you know what he knew and maybe he's he's kind of being a little more proactive and, and and thinking a little bit more ahead than the rest of us are and and knowing like listen there's no home court advantage we're probably going to play one of three teams it could be any one of these three teams in the first round like there's no you know there's no real like 
way to control that. So let's let's just focus on getting us healthy and in good condition and, and ready so that when these playoffs start, we're not having these issues. That's that's what I'd like to think would happen, and and, and like that's what we got to hope for because right now, I mean, the team did not look good. They they flat out they looked fine in the first half, and then they flat out fell off a cliff uh, in that third quarter and never recovered. It's just it just is what it is for these guys, you know. So that's I think it's something I don't know. I mean, we'll see we'll see how the game goes today, but it's something that I think maybe Nuggets fans are just going to have to live with. You know, maybe this team only goes four and four or three and five in these next eight games, and maybe that doesn't mean uh, maybe that's not the end of the world for these guys. The, the I think the big story or the big side story that came out of that Miami game though was the the story of Michael Porter Jr. Right, we saw on the broadcast that he him and coach maybe got into it a little bit when when coach pulled him after he got um you know he was struggling with 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 his defense which i think was which the, the particular play where he got um pulled on like i don't know that was a good screen it, it, that, the way i looked at it more i can't even remember if, if it was maybe it was Myers Leonard or if it was i don't even know if Myers actually played in that game did he uh no he didn't play at all so it was uh it was probably Duncan Robinson i'm guessing who was setting that screen um but it was, um, you know, I think it was it was one of those times where it was like, well, that was a good screen and there was nothing to do and it led for a wide open three. You know, the the uh, MPJ probably got let down a little bit by his help on that defense. I can't remember who was the other man on the uh, in the action for the Nuggets in that one. And I want to say it might have been Jokic, but whoever it was, whoever the big was, he definitely dropped back um, and, and conceded the three. And it was it was a wide open shot. And then MPJ gets pulled and we see a little exchange between him and Malone. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have pointed to that and been like, okay, this guy, this guy is still immature. This guy is not ready for big minutes in the NBA. Um, and there, and there's certainly, there is certainly some credence, I guess, to that idea that you know that that he, I mean, he struggled. There's no doubt about it. And I think it, when we look at it, it's hard to pick out like individual defensive positions where it's like or possessions where it was like, yeah, MPJ totally screwed it on that one. Um, I think I think it was a more of a it was kind of an all around team thing. Like I said, people were gassed; they weren't really full of energy. There was a lot of struggling with rotations and, and things, just like that play I was talking about, where guys are uh, maybe just willing to sag back and concede jumpers instead of really getting up in guys and, and, and playing uh, high energetic defense. That that kind of thing I think was prevalent among the entire team, not just not just MPJ. The thing that, that hurt him was the silly fouls. You know, that's where because one, it, then coach doesn't have a choice. He's got to take you um, off the court. You know, MPJ averaged a foul every five minutes in that game. It was not good, and there were some certainly some fouls that were just silly uh, and looked like fatigue fouls, right? Like he. Instead of fighting around the screen as hard as he can, you know, he kind of just grabs his grabs onto the guy who's screening him and trying to kind of tries to move him out of the way that way. And that's, you know, that's obviously going to get called every time. And it did. I, I can think of one that was in specifically about that. And he was kind of lucky. He ends up fouling the screener trying to use him, kind of trying to grab the screener and use him to, to pull him and use momentum um, to get around him. And, and then and then he ended up giving himself so much momentum that he ran into the shooter um, and fouled him as well. But luckily the the first whistle got called and he didn't get called for what would have been a, a three point or a three shot foul. Um, but that kind of thing happened a lot 
with him in this game. And it, that's it was fatigue fouls, right? It was it almost reminds me of Jokic when when he would do this a lot, you know, where he would just get tired. And so he would just foul a guy um, rather than really trying to to play strong defense. I, th- I thought we saw that a lot from Michael Porter Jr. in that game. And that's something he's got to work past. Again, it's it's a, the conditioning thing I think was prevalent pretty much with everyone in that game. But with 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 MPJ, there's obviously a huge uh, magnifying glass on his entire game because of the hype, because he's kind of, I think, a lot of what Nuggets fans are leaning on as like if they want to, if Nuggets fans, I think, want to convince themselves that the this team can, can maybe make a finals run down here in Orlando, like they all kind of go to, well, if MPJ steps up and plays really well, uh, he's that X factor, right? And, and he can make this team a contender. And so, I think there's there's even even more than normal right now. There's a lot of focus on him and his game, and and he you know I mean he hasn't done himself any favors these past few weeks uh, on social media with with the various statements and things that he's been putting out there. I'm not going to go into any of that. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to offer an opinion either way on that. But um, if you follow me on Twitter, you know where I'm at on it. But um, you know, it, it, it has put him in maybe not the best light right now. And so people are somewhat jumping on the opportunities to be critical of him, I think. Um, and, and particularly of his play, because that's that there's, you can't debate that, right? So if he plays bad, then like it's, it's, there's no, there's no online debates about the, whether or not, uh, him playing bad is actually bad, right? It, it, we could all see it. And so, uh, I think people are kind of maybe piling on him a little bit right now. Not to say that it's it's justified or not justified. Again, I don't think he played well, and, and so that um, that is what it is. One thing that I would note, though, is I think we're getting a little too carried away, a little too concerned with the exchange with Malone at the bench, like that. You know, of course, it, the optics aren't great, particularly a, a young guy who hasn't been playing well, who's been his main issue this entire season has been like, can he earn the trust of his coach? Um, I think. I think that, uh, again, the optics are not great there, but, but what we got to remember is this is like, this is such a common thing, which for all kinds of players, like Malone and Jokic have had heated exchanges before. I, I can think of Malone and Moutier. Uh, I can think of one really heated exchange that they had when, when Moutier was still with Denver. You know, I mean, I'm sure Malone and Jamal Murray have ha- had heated exchanges. I'm sure like all these guys, like this is, these are professionals um, operating at the highest level and the highest stakes of their profession. There, There's a lot of pressure there and guys are going to have disagreements and they're going to speak their mind. That's it's it's much ado about nothing. I think of the whole Michael Porter Jr. exchange with with Michael Malone like that. That is just part of the growth process for every player, and and it's I I almost think if a guy disagrees with the coach, I'd much rather see him speak up and speak his mind than than just be silent and stew on the end of the bench. You know that that to me is is sort of like that defeatist mentality, and then suddenly you're looking at a guy who's just pretty much gonna you know not really give an effort because he's he's letting himself be affected by um criticism and it, and it could be even constructive criticism you would certainly hope from your coach that's what you would be getting and you know i mean coach malone has never given us any reason to think that he doesn't give constructive criticism so um 
I don't mind. I don't mind a guy kind of, you know, barking back at his coach in those, in those scenarios. I prefer that more than, like I said, him just kind of going into his shell and sulking, uh, and not, not playing well, which is something to be honest. I mean, not, not to admonish, admonish Nicola because he was the one guy who played good against Miami, but like, right. We've seen that from Nicola before. Whereas I think about that Memphis game right after the, uh, the infamous no homo comment, then, you know, he kind of, that's what you really don't want to see from a guy is, is when he gets some sort of criticism, um, like that, that he then just goes into his shell and kind of sulks. I, I would much rather see a guy just have that fire and, and, and fire back. So I don't, I don't worry too much about uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s exchange with with Coach Malone. I think it's uh, it's all well and good, and, and we can just we can just move on from it. All right. Well, that's about all I want to spend looking back. I know we usually spend most of the shows looking back, but hey, we're already twenty minutes into this thing, anyways. Um, I want to spend the next the next part of the show talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder in this game that's coming up here at two o'clock. So tell you what, let's hit let's hit the break, um, and then when we come back for the break, we will get into OKC. We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on, or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. Back into the Pickaxe Podcast. It is Zach Mikosh with DenverStiffs.com. Gordon Gross is off this week, so we are flying solo. And we've got, oh, just a few hours to go before the Nuggets will play the Oklahoma City Thunder today. Uh, this is now their second their second script or not scrimmage second uh, seating game. We we spent the first half of the show kind of breaking down that that first one that did not go well against Miami. Let's now look and turn the page to the Oklahoma City Thunder today. Of course, the big news is Denver will be likely will definitely be without their two starting wings uh, and potentially without their starting point guard once again. Joel, uh, will Barton and Gary Harris are both already ruled out. Um, Jamal Murray is questionable. Let's let's touch real quick, if we can, on, you know, you see these comments, well, the Nuggets training staff is garbage or blah, blah, blah. What are they doing? What's going on with these guys? These guys haven't played real basketball in four months. Like, I get it. Like, I, 
with Gary Harris, like, and, and we'll, I'll touch on that in a bit here, but um, guys are going to have weird nagging soreness injuries like Jamal, like Gary, and like Will have. Uh, when you don't play professional basketball for four months and then you get like a week or two, um, you know, for Will and, and, and Jamal, they had about two weeks. Gary Harris got like less than a week and you're trying to ramp up and get back into game shape. Like this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. Like you're going to run into these, these issues where you're going to have problems dealing with the dealing with, you know, the, the nuggets and the, the, or sorry, not the nuggets dealing with the, um, dealing with these kind of weird soreness, nagging soft tissue injuries. And we see this all the time across every single sport, whether it's guys pulling hammies in, you know, in uh training camp in football or, or guys having a, a strained quad or something like that in, in baseball because they ran too hard down the first baseline in, in spring training like this, this kind of stuff happens. There's just no way to simulate full out competitive game action. Like you can push, uh, you can push yourself as hard as you want when you're working out or whatever. It's never going to be the same as how hard you'll push yourself when you're in a competitive game against someone. That's just kind of the way the human mind works. So I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't buy into the narrative that this is against that the, the Nuggets training staff has somehow, you know, screwed this up. I think this is just what happens. It's, it's obviously the Nuggets have probably got it a little worse than, than some of the other teams. But, you know, how much, how much of that is also about individual choices of guys when they were away from the team for four months? You know, how much of that was guys not really keeping up their conditioning? And, and now that they're trying to ramp it back up, like they're, they're running into this stuff. And I'm not saying that that is the case with any of these guys, but I think it's something, you know, it's, it's equally as big of an argument to say, well, the guys didn't do a good enough job keeping up their conditioning during the four months that they were off as it is to say, well, the Nuggets training staff uh, doesn't know what they're doing. Like there's, there's really only conjecture uh, on each side of those arguments. So it's, it, to me, there's no determinations, I guess, to be made by what these injuries are that they're suffering are. I mean, it is what it is. That's just, that's just the way it goes. Uh, and the Nuggets are going to have to fight through it. They're going to have to fight through it here in this game today. And hopefully Jamal Murray will play. That is, I think, was the big piece missing. And, and I think maybe uh, it, even if he doesn't, the Nuggets will be a little bit better off this time around because Monty Morris now has a game under his belt. He feels, you know, he's probably felt the effects of, of playing that game and, and he's recovering from it. And like, you know, he, he's moving down that path of being fully game ready. You could not have expected Monty Morris to be fully game ready, both physically and mentally, um, in that first game against Miami. That was the first game he played in over four months. Like it's, um, it's just unfair to expect him to be that way. So you would expect though here today, yeah, he should be a little bit more improved. You know, hopefully he's not too sore from that game and he's good to go, but Jamal would be a huge help. One for the things I talked about in the first half of the show about how he looked in that scrimmage, but two, just because like he gives you a secondary, a legitimate secondary offensive threat that you can be pretty sure um, is going to be something that the defense will pay attention to. You know, with Michael Porter Jr., it's kind of hit or miss right now. Um, with Jamal Murray, you would expect him to give you a little bit more consistency. He's just been, he's just a more consistent player in general than Michael Porter Jr. is. And, and having that, I think, will go a long way in helping Denver's offense because 
last game, it was pretty painfully obvious. The only person they could they could rely on was Nikola Jokic uh, throughout that game. And I mean, Jeremy Grant played pretty well. He scored, I think, 19 points. So him and Jokic were the leading scorers. You know, I mean, MPJ fought his way to 11 points. Torrey Craig, like I said, he was 40% from three. So he had, uh, he was able to get into double figures just barely. Monty Morris played, you know, got to the free throw line a lot. Uh, which helped him score, but nobody was nobody was really impacting the game consistently, other than Jokic is, is at least the way I, the way I saw it. So having Jamal Murray out there, a guy who can consistently be counted on on the offensive end, is is something that would greatly greatly help the Nuggets. Like they don't with if you don't have Will Barton, who would be the other guy um, that you would think of in terms of a consistent offensive production. It's they're really they really get limited on what they can do and they're easy they're much easier to game plan in my eyes so hopefully they get they get Jamal out there and and if not you know hopefully Monty is 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 ready to go and he's not suffering too much of the ill effects from playing that first game in four months the interesting thing about though the the injuries on the wings against the Thunder is the Thunder are the one team kind of in this mix that the Nuggets might see in the first round uh, they're actually the team I would prefer the Nuggets to see in the first round for the simple fact that they don't the Thunder don't have the big size on the wings right Danilo Gallinari plays at the uh, plays at the four for them generally next to Stephen Adams and the Thunder oftentimes will run a sort of three guard lineup with Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench and then with Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander. That's that's sort of the the group that gets the bulk of the minutes out on their perimeter, even though um, even though Schroeder comes off the bench. The you know the guy that starts is Lou Dort, who is who is a great defensive presence i mean he's a guy i wish i I really wish the nuggets uh could could get a guy like that and i guess tory craig is sort of their guy like that but lou dort just got more size to him um but that you know he's he is their 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 version of a tory craig right like he's not out there to score like he might get a shot here or there and score some buckets but he's out there to be a pest on defense and he's excellent at it um but he's not going to hurt you when you're on defense because you're you're undersized on the wings which is typically how the nuggets would be right they would typically not have a bunch of size out there because they start Gary Harrison Will Barton at the two and three respectively however because Gary Harrison Will Barton are both out this game what will be interesting to see is you know Torrey Craig's probably going to start at the two and then whether Malone goes back to MPJ again to start at the three or goes with Jeremy Grant at the three there's considerably more size there now. So you wonder, can they flip the switch? And and it really comes down to those two guys, Grant and MPJ, and how can they flip the switch? Can they avoid Lou Dort? Because I guarantee you Lou Dort's the guy that they're going to get on them, right? They'll let either either Chris Paul or, or, or Shea Gilgis-Alexander take Jamal Murray if he's out there, and then you know whichever, whichever defender they feel the least confident about will obviously be the one they put on Torrey Craig. But Lou Dort is most likely going to go on whoever that big number th- or the big small forward is for Denver. So can those guys make uh, make the the Thunder pay for lack of size on the wings? Like 
can they force them to have to play Lou Dort more than Dennis Schroeder? Um, which is what what happened in the uh, the the Jazz game without the Thunder played their first seeding game, but the the Thunder blew out. The, I mean, it was a, it wasn't a contest by the second quarter, so uh, there was there, there's a reason that Lou Dort probably got 30 minutes and, and Dennis Schroeder only got 22. Was that they didn't really need uh, they didn't really need Dennis Schroeder at all in the fourth quarter or really the second half for that matter. Um, but you know, can the can the Nuggets basically force force the Thunder to keep Dort out there more than than they want to? Because if they can, that's going to work to their advantage. Because you can't, you know, I mean, Shea Gilgis Alexander when they bring in when they bring in Dennis Schroeder and play him with with Chris Paul and and Shea Gilgis Alexander, suddenly Shea Gilgis Alexander is your tallest perimeter player at six five. Well, Michael Porter Jr. is 6'10", and Jeremy Grant's like, what, 6'8", 6'9". So, like, there's a distinct height advantage. And the, the, for two guys who shoot it well from outside, right? So, like, I'm very curious to see, will they be able to put Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant out on that perimeter? And will those guys be able to knock down outside shots? And if they can, I think this game goes in Denver's favor pretty quickly. That was just not the case, you know, last last game against... Uh, against Miami, I, I already said that Michael Porter Jr. shot just you know twenty five percent from three, which is which is particularly tough for for a guy who's supposed to be one of your best perimeter shooters uh, on the team. And then Jeremy Grant only shot uh, one for four, so they were both twenty five percent from the three point line. And, and Jeremy Grant has struggled from the three point line uh, this entire time down in Orlando. He hasn't shot it well in the scrimmages either, and and it was. You know, some of that we can we can chalk up to well, he's playing out of position, but the position he was playing and necessitated him shooting more threes, and so uh, you would think maybe that part of his game would have been um, would have been just fine, even though he's playing out of position. Now it should be said that you know, like Jeremy Grant is generally a guy who's the benefit of a kickout or something like that on a three. You know, benefit of the defense reacting to what Jokic or Murray is doing. Uh, and, and in these scrimmages, they didn't really have Murray and Jokic was playing point guard. So it was kind of, you know, they, a lot of his three point shots were not uh, just catch and shoot. They were more of him trying to create for himself and it just, it just didn't work, but they're going to need him and MPJ to shoot it better from the outside. And if they can do that, it's going to force, it's going to force the thunder to play Lou Dort more and, they're gonna have to not go into that three guard lineup that they like to to do, um, which is big, which is very big in my ideas. If you watch that game against Utah between the Thunder and the Jazz, like the the guards killed Utah. They they flat out just made it impossible for for the Jazz to ever. At first, they they built the lead, uh, and then they made it impossible for the Jazz to ever get back because. I mean, they, it, it was a sieve pretty much for for Oklahoma City to go through uh, on that defense, which is very interesting because obviously the Jazz have Rudy Gobert, uh, a defensive player of the year, back-to-back defensive player of the year, I believe, and, and obviously a candidate to win it again. But they, I, let me tell you, I mean, those those Oklahoma City Thunder guards, they didn't care. They didn't care who was back there. They, um, they went at Rudy Gobert at will. And then when Gobert was out, like that's really when the floodgates opened. The uh, the Jazz don't have a ton of size after Gobert on their bench. They really have no size um, other than uh, what the, the guy is, uh, Tony Bradley, who's, I mean, I mean, he's a stiff, right? That's, that's what Tony Bradley is. So he's in there because they need a body uh, to give 
to give Rudy Gobert 12 minutes of rest a game. And, and it was pretty, uh, pretty apparent that with, with Gobert off the, off the floor, there was zero hesitation by anyone on the, on the, on the, um, Thunder's part two to get into the lane. So that's that's something that I think your best defense there is to force the Thunder away from using that three-guard lineup where everything just flows. And then they've got Gallo as well at the power forward, stretching, you know, keeping the lane open. Um, and, and basically only Steven Adams is down there to, to gobble up rebounds, which is something Steven Adams is great at. So you've got to try and, and force the Thunder's hand because otherwise, I mean, we know... As, as much of a mismatch uh, that Michael Porter Jr. can be uh, when he's on offense, when he's on defense, like he's going to struggle keeping up with Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Dennis Schroeder or whoever he has to defend out there. Like that's going to be a problem for him. And the Nuggets don't have a ton of great rim protection. I mean, obviously, Bol Bol played in the in the game against Miami. He might play again here uh, in the game against OKC. He is clearly their best rim protector, but... Um, you don't even if he plays, you don't expect him to play a ton of minutes. So the Denver's gonna have to try and stop that that penetration at the point of attack rather than recover with help um, from some sort of rim protector. Now the other thing I will say though is one thing that can work in Denver's advantage is, is with Jokic and Millsap, they've got, you know, two two of the best bigs when it comes to getting their hands in there um and, and creating steals and turnovers. That that could definitely certainly help them in this game because you know again you know these guys are going to drive um, at the rim. That's how they're going to want to get a lot of their points and then supplement that with threes, um, like most teams do in the NBA. But the 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 Thunder's three guard unit is particularly good at it. Um, if the Nuggets can can maybe disrupt those drives midway through by getting you know getting their hands in in there and and this is like i said it's something that Millsap and Jokic are both great at and, and creating those steals or those turnovers that might give them a better uh a better chance than than what Utah did which is you know i mean Utah uh, who has some good defenders i mean but they just didn't like it, it was just a bad game for the defensively for the Jazz overall they they couldn't score in the in the first uh, quarter and then they basically just let let uh, Utah or sorry Oklahoma City run away with it. So if the Nuggets can can stop that penetration a little bit more, uh, they they should hopefully not get completely blown out like Utah did and like the Nuggets did uh, against Miami. That's that's going to be a key because Oklahoma City by the looks of that first game is is playing very well. Oklahoma City looks like if you're worried about a team coming up and taking the 3 seed um from Denver, OKC probably looks like the most dangerous right now cuz Utah, I mean Utah is I, I wrote this in our big preview. I did not expect the Nuggets to lose the 3 seed and that a lot of that was based on well the team right behind them Utah I don't think is going to be very good. And and they don't. I mean Utah like they won that game against New Orleans to open the seeding games. They were. They did not. I did not think they played very well in that game. Uh, New Orleans kind of had them dead to rights, and then New Orleans kind of fell apart there in the fourth quarter, and what ends up losing in overtime, I think it was. Um, 
But I really felt like that loss was more on New Orleans than it was on on the Jazz winning. And the Jazz got lucky because Zion Williamson was on a minutes restriction and he was killing them. Uh, but then he couldn't play uh, at the end of the game, which I think if he had, that, that game probably goes New Orleans way instead. So... I'm not too worried about the Jazz catching the Nuggets, but I am worried about you know the Thunder. If if you're worried about the Nuggets losing the three seed, which there's a debate to ha- be had there as well, but I think the Thunder out of all these teams right now probably you know look the best. Obviously, Houston is going to have to overcome Eric Gordon's injury. That's gonna that's gonna hurt them a bit. Uh, OKC looks the most like a cohesive unit with all their players who's just they're ready to go. Right, they're ready to play, and and. That's something that the Nuggets um, need to be prepared for t- today, and I think Nuggets fans need to be prepared for. Like this one could go, could not go uh, Denver's way as well. I, I, I really do feel like OKC is um, has hit the ground running. I guess for for uh, lack of uh, of a better term. Um, you know, I guess I'll close out the the OKC preview with a bit of uh, a prediction. I think. Denver probably loses again today. Like I said, I think Oklahoma City looks really, really good right now. Um, and, and and I guess that would put OKC in into the three seed. I don't know how tiebreakers really work. Uh, I don't think they matter because they're, it's, they're not going to end up playing the same number of games. And so I think this will all just be based off of winning percentage anyways. Uh, and I don't know if teams can tie on what i'm not doing the math all right this is not a math podcast <laughs> anyways um but basically okay see if they went today would would have the same record or would be tied with the, with the denver nuggets not quite the nuggets would have one game in the win column so that which would be okay see would be 42 and 24 nuggets would be 43 and 24 so denver i guess would still be a half game up on okc for the uh for the three seed, but yeah, I would be, I would be certainly concerned and I, and, and I am concerned in this game. I think without having Gary Harris or Will Barton, that is going to, like I said, it could potentially work, actually work in the Nuggets favor, but um, I think ultimately it's going to be a, a struggle for, for Denver to overcome it. Uh, all right, let's wrap up the show real quick with just a look forward. Cause the Nuggets will have three other games that they will play this week uh, before we're back again with you guys on Monday. Uh, the the first one after that is I'm poorly navigating my uh, poorly navigating my research here. This is this is bad podcasting. We're good for we're good for one of those like every single every single podcast, right? There's going to be at least one time where Zach didn't get his information in front of him and is now just stalling for oh you know a few minutes while we click through the links here. I'm sure you can hear my mouse clicking right now. All right, there we go. Wait, oh, we got to scroll down. Okay, here we go. Uh, so San Antonio, Portland, and Utah will be. The three games left to go. San Antonio looks well, or looks well, looks looks like they're playing pretty well. Um, they did win their first game. I think I can't even remember who San Antonio played in that first game. Was it Dallas? Um, but San Antonio looks like a team playing to get into the playoffs. They've moved now into. It was Memphis. They beat Memphis. Um, they they they've pretty much not had any issue in that uh, in in. Getting here in the bubble, they they've seemed pretty healthy. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if anybody opt out uh, or not. They also played a game against on Friday against Sacramento. They uh, they won that one as well. Demar Derozan is playing well. Uh, they've they've been able to run that. Uh, they've been able to run some some interesting groups, I guess, with 
with their lineups now, and we're getting a lot of something we didn't see against San Antonio in the playoffs last year, but we're getting a lot of um, Derek White and DeJounte Murray playing together, kind of playing a two-point guard backcourt, and then you know having having DeRozan and Lonnie Walker in there, so really playing small around Jakob Pertl. That has actually worked pretty well. They've gotten, you know, they can, they can at power forward. Basically, they, if they, they're basically playing DeMar DeRozan at power forward or Lonnie Walker at power forward, right? In sort of a weird kind of scenario. And then they're bringing in Rudy Gay off the bench. Um, and I guess Devin Eubanks, but, but, you know, they're bringing Rudy Gay off the bench to kind of still be that stretch. They're, they're playing a sort of small lineup around their center. Uh, and, and they're not giving, I mean, I guess Eubanks is probably, you can tell I haven't watched a ton of what the uh, the the Spurs are doing so far. I just know they've been playing well, um, and I'm guessing. I mean, because they're not they, the Spurs don't really have any other centers off their bench, so Eubanks is probably more playing center, and then they're they're just giving Rudy Gay that that stretch four spot. So that's a team um, who is who's playing to get into the playoffs. They are a team with with something to play for, which. Which is more than just hey, where we're we gonna fall up? We're trying to line up matchups, right? Like like the Nuggets or the Thunder or or the Jazz are doing, or all those teams. So that is a I, I honestly look at these these games against a team like Spurs as the most dangerous. Like that team is gonna definitely approach this as like a playoff game, and if you're not approaching it like a playoff game, you're gonna be in trouble really quick. So could it be concerning, you know. It's not it's not um, I think out of the question that we might see the Nuggets start out zero and three. Uh, in these in these seeding games, they they then followed up with um the Portland Trailblazers, another team who is playing for their playoff lives. the The Trailblazers are uh sort of a, the you know they they've played pretty well. They're they're in an interesting spot. I mean, they've got a very talented team, and they've got Yusuf Nurkic back, so he's and he's been playing well. They got I think they got beat by Boston. I think they came back in that game and then ended up getting beat by Boston in the end. Um, so they're they're kind of on on life support at this point, uh, especially with with San Antonio kind of leapfrogging up into the nine seed. If you remember how this works, you have to be within four games of the eight seed to force you know sort of that that best of. Uh, two series, if you will, but it's not like the nine, ten, and eleven seed. If they're all in within four games, all play. No, it's only the nine seed will play the eight seed. So, with San Antonio sitting in the pole position, if you will, um, Portland has got to find a way to catch. Uh, or is going to want to find a way to catch back up and, and not lose any ground there. And the Nuggets will get Portland. That will be their their back-to-back game. So they're going to have um, a pretty a pretty difficult game to overcome there. Again, I mean, they could, this team could start off 0-4 in, in these seeding games. It would not surprise me. They end out the week against Utah. I think that one is a definite win. Utah is not playing for it as much. Dallas, I think, continues to to kind of struggle here right now as well in the uh, in the bubble. So if I'm looking at these standings right now, I don't think there's much chance at this point. Yeah, Dallas is three games back of, of Oklahoma City um, in the in the standings. It's at this point, pretty likely that Dallas is going to get locked into that seven spot. And and so you're really just watching. I mean, the Clippers are still two games up on the Nuggets, three games up on anybody else. They're getting pretty close to getting locked into that two spot. So at this point, you're just figuring out where do three, four, five, and six 
fall in with each other. It's again, there's no home court advantage to speak of here. I mean, yeah, I, I get that the announcers and right the virtual fans will be for whoever's quote unquote the home team, but there's not. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter. So it's really all about, well, who wants to play who? I, I'm kind of interested to see. I think we're going to see some screwy stuff happening in the back half of these seeding games as these teams try and figure out, you know, where where do they land in terms of uh, who they want to play. And, and and I guess I don't know. Again, I, I would – Actually, I'm going to change. I was. I said I want. I would pick the the Nuggets play Oklahoma City. It's definitely not. Nuggets want to play Utah. Um, Utah is the team who I think, uh, other than maybe Denver, based off that one Miami game. Like I think Utah is probably out of those four teams out of Utah, Denver, OKC, and Houston. Utah is probably the team that's looked the worst, um, and, and that's probably the team that you would like to to face. But what my point being is, is the Nuggets have got to play these. They've got this game against OKC, who's playing really well. Then they're going to get. Uh, two teams that are fighting for their their playoff lives in in San Antonio and Portland. That's all going to be some pretty difficult competition in my eyes. But then you're going to hit Utah uh, next Saturday, and that game, like Utah's just maybe trying to figure out where their seating is at. Nuggets are trying to figure out where their seating is at. And, and again, I don't think Utah's that good of a team right now. I think they've they've probably been the team that's been hurt the most uh, by this layoff. So. I could see, I could certainly see that that being an easy win for for Denver. Uh, then they'll they'll play the Lakers after that. It looks like the Lakers will have all but have their their seed wrapped up at that point, and so there's a chance that the Lakers are are resting. Um, in in which is sort of weird to say. I mean, and again, another thing I don't know. Like, oh, do you rest guys when they had four months off? I don't I don't know. But they're not going to chance Anthony Davis and LeBron James in the fourth quarter of a game that doesn't mean anything, right? They they they'll definitely probably take their foot off the gas. The same is probably going to be said for the Clippers uh, next week when the Denver plays them. They'll probably be pretty much all wrapped up. And then of course they end against Toronto, another team who will most likely have their seed entirely wrapped up uh, at that point as well. So. I guess to, to close the show, uh, since we won't get to talk until until Monday again, uh, hold strong, Nuggets Nation. This could get bumpy this week for sure, uh, but it may not really matter. It really, it's only about who who the Nuggets want to play in terms of of Houston, OKC, or Utah. That's really all we're looking at, and that ha- there are so many different factors that are going to go into that because obviously Houston, OKC, and Utah are also looking at who they want to play. That it's really hard. Um, to 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 guide that in any way, if you will, maybe in the back half, maybe by next week when we're talking again, we can be talking about well, here's the Nuggets. Maybe don't want to win this game, want to win that one. But I think in this for this week, um, expect the Nuggets to have a rocky week, but expect it to not matter that much. I think is is ultimately what it comes down to. All right, and with that, we are going to close out the show. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter. I'm at Zach Nikosh. Gordon is at G Money Nugs. Follow us over on Denver Stiffs at Denver Stiffs. Uh, we also are on Instagram at the Denver Stiffs. Make sure you're checking out the YouTube channel and the Facebook page as well. And of course, subscribe to the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. That is where you will find uh, this show, Nuggets Numbers, the Denver Stiffs Show, uh, the Dig. If those guys ever get around to making another episode, uh, they keep telling me they're going to, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, you can still find 
great content and different shows with different hosts and, and, and different voices all week long. So make sure you're checking that out. Check out the site as well. The content has been crazy since we started back up, since this whole bubble thing got going. I mean, there is like three, four, five, sometimes five different uh, articles, podcasts, what have you coming out every day on denverstiffs.com. So make sure you guys are checking that out as well. And with that said, we will talk to you next week. Yes, it's-